Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hypersexualized times of ours. And in today's episode, everybody, we have a young fella by the name of Andy Park. You may have remembered him from the last time you saw him, because everybody knows this guy. But if you don't know him, you can hearken back to about a year, year and a half ago when he was on this podcast with his beautiful new wife. And she's not new to this earth, but a new wife to him. Hope that made sense. And this time around, I wanted to interview him because he has always been part of our world for the past few years, very tightly linked to us. He's been doing our groups and really working on himself and his own sexual integrity, but he's also progressively taken more responsibility in the capacity of a facilitator, in the capacity of giving testimonies for us online. And most recently, he helped us to organize the European tour along with other people, right? We had the Mickey LaHogues and the Yulika LeBroys and some other gangsters in a good way, heavenly gangsters that helped us make a really great experience for the continent of Europe. But Andy was our inside guy doing all the details, getting photocopies, like organizing people laying certain egos and just helping in general. He's a real masterful guy. So I wanted to pick his brain on this podcast and find out what it was like from his perspective to actually hang out with us because we're so used to being us and we live in a way that is not normal, okay? People always ask us, what's your real job? We say, it's this. And they say, no, 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 but seriously, what do you really do? I say, this, we help people develop their sexual integrity and they just don't understand it. And the way that we talk to each other, the way that we're so honest with each other, it's all very unusual to the average person. But we do this very consciously because we know that the high noon way is the best way. So he lived with us. He was traveling with us. He got to really spend a bunch of time with us. So I wanted to know, how was it? Did you learn anything? Did we traumatize you? What's going on? So we get into that all during this episode. So please welcome Andreas, the Pock. And my dad joke is this is his Pock cast. Here I am with a young fella, a young man, Andy Jr. That's what I call him. No, I don't, but I can because I, then I'd have to be an Andy if you were Andy Jr. Anyway, Uncle Dave always calls me Andy. Only really, 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 really old people call me Andy, like Uncle Dave. So I invited Andy here because he's been on the inner circle, in like the inner sanctum of high noon. He knows all of our dirty secrets. He's probably seen us at our very worst and our very best. I don't know if we have a very best, but he's seen us at our worst, I'm sure. <laughs> and recently we asked him if he could help us with the European tour. And he is the reason why the European tour was amazing. First of all, he knows everybody in Europe, everybody, like not even just church members. He's like all the old ladies on the streets in every country. He knows them all. He knows everybody. But he's also really organized and all that. So I wanted to catch up with him because a lot of times, especially in the high noon realm, we're just like running, 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 next thing, next thing, next thing. We don't do inventory of the places and the people. I've definitely met some people a couple years after the first time I met them and they're like, hey, remember? And I'm like, in my heart, I'm like, no, sorry, I'm so sorry. Because this is running, 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 running. So I wanted to stop and pick your brain a bit, Andy, about the tour, what it was like for you, and also just kind of where you're at. 
as a human being. So first of all, welcome. Welcome to the podcast again. Thank you. Happy to be here. If you guys remember, Andy was already here with his newly blessed bride, but now they're like old news. They're like, oh yeah. Now every blessing, there's like a new batch of, oh, they're so cute. And then the, you see the people who have been blessed for two years and like, get out of the way, get out of the picture. <laughs> we know your face, get out of here. So first of all, I guess, how's that going? How's your blessed life? It was like puppy love, the first podcast with you both on it. How are you guys doing? That was a bit over a year ago. Probably our podcast, we had about a year ago. Almost, I think, the, the other one. My goodness. Okay. I think that our start was really good. Our start to marry life after the blessing, after getting married. Just recently, we had our legal court wedding um, in April. So that was great. Um, like you went to the city hall or something? We went to the city hall in San Francisco and it was a big, beautiful building, actually. And we only were allowed to invite little amount of people. So I just told my wife, oh, just go ahead and invite your friends because many of my friends were there for the blessing ceremony in Germany. So she was just able to invite her mom and some of her friends. Not all of our parents were able to come because we kind of organized it last minute so we can get the paperwork done before she's moving here in two months. But it was a beautiful, cozy little ceremony. So funny because when people get married a lot of times, like they go to the blessing and every couple's different, but I've heard this story a lot that they go to the blessing and that's what they're really in it for. But then they have to get married for legal reasons, right? Because we still have governments and blah, blah, blah. But the governments are very confused because they're like, are you guys even serious? It just kind of seems like because we're not so serious a lot that like, are you just doing it for paperwork or whatever? It's just because we've already gotten like the eternity out of the way. Now it's just like paperwork is just like to appease some bureaucrats in some office somewhere. Like we already committed to eternity. If you want to talk about serious, let's talk eternity, right? Like we're in. I don't know if there's any comparison to that, right? The fact that you first exchanged eternities with your family and with thousands of other couples. And then as a matter of protocol, you go to some city hall somewhere with some friends and it's very casual, right? Whereas for most people, that's like, that's the definitive thing is the legal thing. Yeah, that's true. Although I think for us too, I felt it quite a precious moment. Also, because the blessing is somewhat for us about eternity and it's our traditional ceremony, traditional wedding, so mm -hmm. to say. And then the wedding is kind of the marriage ceremony, okay, putting it black and white in society as well. So kind of society can accept that and acknowledge heaven it. and earth. Heaven and earth, society. And I think it's because this was just a small ceremony, but I'd like to do something a bit bigger to connect community where some like family can meet, whereas they would probably never meet in other circumstances in their life. Yeah, you should have like an Oktoberfest, like okay. some mashup. I don't know what they do. Well, okay. she's from like Washington State. So like maybe crab and knockwurst party, something like that. A Shinto, Japanese oh. Shinto Oktoberfest wedding. Yeah, everybody breaks out into some sort of sword fight at the end. Sounds good. Cool, man. Well, that's encouraging. You guys are still thriving after a whole year. That's the toughest part is the first year. I don't know. I just made that up. But if you hear that, then everything else is like, oh, we went through the hard stuff. When you came to this tour, we did four stops. I think in the beginning, if you remember, your plan was to kind of organize everything and then kind of duck out a little bit early because love was calling. You wanted to go see your bride. You wanted to fly out and go to America. 
And we were like, mm, please stay. And you were able to hold your breath long enough to stick around. And so you were there for all four events in Europe, right? And so yeah. you were with us for four sequential weekends. And so I guess the first question is, what did you observe about how High Noon kind of interacts with each other, the staff? Is it any different than anybody? Or is it just same old, same old? Yeah, for me, it was really interesting to observe the High Noon staff that was coming to Europe because I'd been volunteering, and, oh, well, first participating and then volunteering, like group facilitating for High Noon. And so over those years, actually, the High Noon staff, you or Sammy or Benji, there was a lot that I just learned from you. Or just briefly before the tour, I think we had been a bit more in touch too with the High Noon Bootcamp group. Mm -hmm. And then you had been my mentor for that while. And before then, Sammy had been my accountability partner. So for me personally, actually, it was really interesting to meet you in person for the first time for a longer period of time. First impression was, oh, the only stuff that we ever talked about online was all this serious stuff. And business. This all loading impression of, oh, these are my mentors and accountability partners. <laughs> but they're also American and Americans are. Loud and talking. <laughs> about observing the staff, we met first in London. So my impression where I thought that it would be a lot more serious, I guess, in preparing the events or talking about the events, it was quite casual a lot of the time, like casual in conversations with each other and in preparing, still serious and with a serious or genuinely like preparing and like caring for the events and preparing them, but still a kind of a lightness about it. I think, in preparing. Something in it, what it told me was like a genuine intention to be there for the people that are coming. Not so much to, oh, this is us, this is high noon, and we kind of putting ourselves for it. There wasn't so much of that, but it was just, oh, let's get this work done so that this can get to the people and so that we can connect with the people. And all of, like the whole high noon staff had that. The kind of this heart and this intention of, oh, we're not here just to talk to people or to present and give lectures and that's it. And we haven't had much conversation at the end of the day with the participants, but actually create as much space for conversation and connection with the actual people that are coming and showing genuine interest. So that's something I noticed and something new, I think, that I learned just being with you guys in person. So I was seeing times after the events where it was a lot more goofy or there was this moment when I was talking with Sebastian the other German guy who is coming to the events. And I think he asked me, oh, how has it been? Like you've been traveling around with the team now. I was like, yeah, I think in the beginning, he felt a little bit intimidated in the beginning, he said. But then, oh yeah, but I realized we're all goofballs in this. Except the events. It's cool, right? Like that's what I hear about True Father too is deadly serious, but also always up for a joke. Simultaneously, life and death, but also joking. I think it's like a coping mechanism, right? If you're so serious, you're going to crack, like dealing with all this heavy stuff. It is very American, right? I noticed that recently, grace ceremonies, everything, there's always jokes involved. Even where in the Bay Area, Pastor Kevin Thompson known to say a good joke, but like all, anywhere, there's nowhere that's off limits because everything, that's how we survive, I guess, which can be really annoying if you just want to be serious, which we noticed Europeans enjoy a good streak of seriousness, which is usually broken by us to their chagrin. So it wasn't too much. You weren't like secretly sharpening some knife, waiting for your moment to stab us and just be like, can you just shut up for a second? No, I mean, for me, actually, 
I don't know why, but I like the American spirit. And I think in general for Europeans, it's quite a nice matchup sometimes. Quite nice match to have an uplifting, a little bit more relaxed American approach. I mean, I, probably the most American is Benji when he's talking mm -hmm. double speed, giving presentation in loud when, volume. When he catches I, fire. Yeah, he catches fire. And then in the breaks, I heard people, people talking about that was super American. It's kind of like a self-perpetuating engine that just kind of gets faster and faster on its own. Doesn't need gas. That's Benji when he catches fire. Yeah. Cool. So it was bearable. It was all right. Yeah, I think it was. I think it's really good. There was actually in preparation for the events, I noticed there were some messages and some awareness of, hey, let's be aware that we're going to Europe and tone down a little bit or dress appropriately. Do you think so, we were able to do that? I think so. Okay. Because reading those messages in preparation, I was like, I wouldn't be so worried. It's all good. We just get in trouble yeah. sometimes, you know? You got to be I careful understand. that the message isn't lost by the messenger. I think that's the main point is that we can acclimate, right? So one day you will see High Noon wearing suits in a certain environment just so that we don't get in the way of the message, right? That's the main point. It's about my freedom. It's not. It's about how well can we get this information to you so that you're not lost staring at us because we're wearing like a sequin suit, but instead you're not even noticing us. You're just connecting with the message. And we're getting there. We're slowly getting there. Getting out of the way of ourselves. Getting ourselves out of the way of the message, I guess. Got it. Well, I'm glad that came through. And do you have any realizations during the tour the entire time? Reflecting about that, there are quite a few realizations. I mean, the first one was pretty early on, actually, when I arrived. And what I realized, it was about myself. I realized that there's still part of me or in me that measures my self-worth by the performance or by my performance or my perceived approval of others. I think actually when that came up, it's because the first event, I realized on the eve of the first event, I was still preparing some stuff and organizing some stuff. And I started getting stressed and anxious on that eve of the first event. People already started coming. And I was asking myself, oh, why am I getting stressed? And why am I getting anxious? I kind of noticed it right away when it came in the evening because I thought, oh, this is not such like the tasks are not so difficult for me. I've done this before, managing this a little bit, preparing some little things for the event tomorrow. When I walked into the room, we were sharing a room with Benji and Sammy. And then Sammy asked me, oh, how are you doing? And I realized that my default answer one or two years ago would have been, oh, good. Just, yeah, I'm doing okay. And kind of move on and just justify the feeling of stress by, oh, I just have to push harder. I just have to suppress this and just kind of give my best or do better so that I don't feel as stressed or ignore the stress and just push and make it, do my work well, perform well. But in that moment, I realized, oh, actually, I'm aware of this feeling and I don't really know why or where it's coming from or where this is going, but I chose to be, just be honest and just share about it and see where that is going. And then the conversation then unfolded from there after I said, oh, actually, I'm feeling kind of stressed. I don't know why, but it's there. The conversation kind of unfolded really, it was really helpful then to have this conversation backtracked and it, we realized that, oh, this is coming from me kind of being in the headspace of, oh, for some reason, I feel a little bit insecure or stressed or anxious around like older brothers, older like people who I like look up to or I've looked up to a lot. And there's this little bit of awe or respect, but it kind of makes me feel like, oh, I have to earn approval or earn love by performing well. 
or by being flawed and by pushing hard. And there was this part of me that was worried about that. It was creating that stress. Yeah, by realizing that and talking about it, it helped me to really relax, I think. Just be myself because I realized, actually, you, like the team, my team was, those are the people that I would want to be natural with the most and just be myself and learn from that. Be really present in the moment instead of getting into my head and getting stressed and overthinking things. So that's what I did. And it made me realize that, wow, I was able to become aware and notice these emotions within one day and resolve them within one day and then relax afterwards. That would have not possible two years ago. And I think a couple of years ago, these same kind of emotions would have made me go into some kind of escape. And that might have been actually PMO in the past because of this little trigger being surrounded. And I think it was a specific relationship. I've managed stress and anxiety and other relationships or when it comes up like little, really minute kind of tendencies when it comes up. And in this time it came up with oh, older brothers or people who I look up to and I have to kind of work together and earn their respect among men. Or And I realized, oh, it, this has been a pattern with other people too in my past. And this is, there was a really good moment actually to restore something. And in that very moment, like real relationships, it's helped me to be a lot more relaxed and present. You're on high noon time, resolving things in an hour instead of a year or two or whatever. So yeah, that's great. That's encouraging. And definitely would have been wildly inappropriate to act out <laughs> at an event, sure. setting up an event. So I'm glad you resolved that. Congratulations. I'm glad you could talk about that. So it was interesting because that was kind of your turf. We went into your turf of Europe and you helped us. You were like our Sherpa, helped us get through culturally and geographically. But since it was your turf, you were also tasked to kind of give a testimony. Was it weird? Sometimes people think it's weird to give a personal testimony in front of strangers. Other people find it weirder to give a testimony in front of the people that know them. So was it extra weird or was it, how was it? Yeah, it's true. When we were in London, I knew more people and I felt calmer, I think, in London. And then when we went Poland the next week, there weren't so many people there that I knew. And I felt a lot more pressure, I think. Yeah, so I don't know. Each workshop was a little bit different. And I think I always felt a little nervous. And usually I feel a little nervous before speaking. It wasn't so much about giving my testimony, I think. I realized that I feel very like calm and at peace with sharing my story. And it kind of showed me that why I feel like I really own my story. I don't feel scared or there's no fear that there's going to be backlash because people know my story. Or I think what got to my head before each time I had to give my testimony was because I really feel like I want to give not only my story, but give it in such a way that conveys the lessons that I learned and lessons that can be helpful for the audience too. And they can take something away. Right. That mm. I can do. You got out of your own way, out of your own head, and you just kind of gave it to the people. Yeah, that too. Did you get any feedback from people? Like, did anybody come up to you and thank you for your testimony? There were a few people saying thank you for your testimony. Thank you for sharing your whole story. Some of my friends came up as well. Said thank you. I shared my story. Hey, if you're getting something good from this episode, you will probably really enjoy our other podcast, The Blessed Couple Podcast, where we talk about how to create a smashing marriage and experience God in the process. And yes, we talk a lot about sex. 
We have incredible guest speakers that I think you're going to really love. All you have to do is search for Blessed Couple Podcast on your favorite podcast player or just click the link in the description of this episode. Thanks. Back to the show. It is pretty amazing, like Sebastian's testimony, your testimony. Just in the beginning of this whole thing, our very first summit was in Las Vegas, and we didn't know if anybody... We were genuinely contemplating the idea of letting people wear masks on stage if they wanted to (laughs) while they gave a testimony, even though you could probably deductive reasoning, figure out who's not in the room while somebody's on stage with a mask, kind of like a crappy Batman. And you could also tell their voice, but we honestly, in the very beginning, weren't sure if anybody would be willing to speak so openly in front of other people. And now it's actually just so increasingly normal within our events and stuff that people would stand up and speak openly. And it's really cool. It means that courageousness is contagious. The contagiousness of courageousness. The name of my new sweatpants line. Thank you for doing that, by the way. Yeah, you're welcome. Now that you mention it as well, it reminds me that I think a couple of years ago, I heard someone gave their testimony actually in a sermon at church. And it made me think, oh, if he can share openly and it helps people, then I can do that too. And then I think a couple of weeks after that, I gave my testimony in a sermon to my community. Anyway, that was a couple of years ago. But That's amazing. It's just how it works. It brings everybody that hears you one step closer to seeing themselves doing the same thing. And then that's how we collectively normalize something for better or for worse, right? You talked about the vibe of us preparing the events. What was the vibe like of the events themselves in your perspective compared to just like a normal workshop or was it the same, same vibes? Not the same vibe as I think normal workshops or camps. It was usually, I mean, a a bit of an older crowd coming, 18 plus, 20 plus, 21 plus people. Some of the workshops, it felt like It was a bit more heavy and people came with a bit more burden. Maybe also with kind of some hesitation to come. They're like, not sure if do I belong to the right crowd to be on this workshop or still kind of skeptical. Oh, I didn't think, do I agree or not? Or do I belong here? And then we went to the next workshop and the crowd would be totally different and totally open. And they're like, some of the groups were really, really receptive and really, really hungry for a connection, really eager to connect and open up. There were some people who I met in, in conversations. They were like, well, I'm here already. I came here to do something and not let this moment pass. And so they would open up and share stuff they'd never shared before. It was kind of a bit of the skeptical side of people or still having people. And, but a lot more, I think, people who are really eager to share. And it was their intention to go and make it an important, meaningful experience for themselves. It's true. There's definitely some events that were a lot more jovial and others that People actually really wanted to go to some dark places and fix some stuff. What was your best memory from the tour? My best memory? I think my best memories from the tour were different conversations or different group conversations. Some of them were just talking with each other with the staff team after an event in a cafe or something and talk about, had really open conversations about real stuff that's happening in life. One other very good memory, I think, was talking to one of the staff members. It was the first time that I met Benji in person. So there was one day after the event that we started talking. And it was kind of about that he realized, oh, a lot of the things that I had shared in my testimony were similar to his story. 
And then we kind of got more into that and discovered that, oh, there's been like similar things in our past or similar pain that we've experienced. And so there's like similar patterns that we had to like work through and we developed and had this conversation and the day after as well, a really like deep and moving kind of emotional conversation came about. Mm. And I was showing that, oh, all of the staff is there and they're not only giving to the people, that's kind of the purpose why we came and made the events happen, but the staff was growing as it happened. And as we were giving to the people, they were still very open to grow themselves in the process. Did you feel like you grew by giving, by putting yourself out there? You were seeing more about yourself? You were understanding more about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Especially that first story I had when I arrived and I felt stressed out and anxious. We had the group sharings in the evenings of all the events with, we call it lifting shame, where people were to share what they're most ashamed about or what they want to let go of in their life and then what they're proud of, most proud of in their life. Yeah, I think it showed me that, oh, I felt really able to give and share my own story as openly as possible to completely strange people. But for the benefit of showing them, I wanted to show them it's okay for you to share too and let it go of what you have kept inside for a long time. I remember one group especially where almost everyone, they shared for the first time in their life and started crying and weeping and received understanding and being embraced where there had been just really heavy shame for them and fear and kind of pain. And it was not, I think not the, they didn't completely heal or they didn't completely solve all the issues through the experience. But I think a seed was that moment allowed for seeds to be sown really deeply in their hearts that can, if we continue nourishing it and if they continue working on that, then it can grow into something really beautiful. Yeah, true story. Nice. I'm glad you got to be a part of that. Those lifting shame things were always really deep. So for those of you who didn't attend, we start on Saturday morning, fresh. Some people have never been to an event. And by the end of Saturday, people are sharing their inner most lightness and darkness with each other. And it's very cathartic and very healing and very powerful. So I wish that upon everybody because it's like a way of getting past so much stuff that we're holding on to. I have a question, Andy. What was your worst memory of the tour? I was thinking about that. And the first thing that came to my mind was just a story that I already told where I felt, I felt um, the stress and, mm. and I could resolve it really quickly. That was my worst, I think, experience of the tour. Wow. You were protected. The funniest thing that you and I were a part of, for sure, for me, was... Sammy had to go to the bathroom so bad. I don't know what happened. And we were in the middle of the most beautiful place in Budapest, like this downtown beautiful place and there's no bathrooms. Mm. And the funniest part to me was we figured out where there was a Starbucks close by and it was a city block away. And Sammy had to run as fast as he could while still clenching his butt so that he didn't poo his pants. And to me, that was... The funniest image I've Kodaked into my psyche for eternity as like an indelible memory of Sammy forever. And you and I yeah. got to experience that together, laughing, because he'd be fun. It's not life or death. It was just, <laughs> I've never seen Sammy so serious about anything in his life. He had one thing on his mind and that was finding a bathroom. It's fantastic. Yeah, and I know he won't mind me telling that story. Don't worry. Okay. That's good. I did think of that. I was like, oh, this is but it's not my worst experience. <laughs> so, it's your best experience. <laughs> <Best> worst. <laughs> and then he pulled, then the, 
I think there was no toilet paper anymore at the Starbucks. And so we got this emergency call and I had to go in and yeah, Andy and I got a WhatsApp. Sammy made a WhatsApp group and it just said poop emergency. <laughs> that was the name of the group. It was amazing. Great. So over the years, young man, you've gone from a single guy who you were working on your own sexual integrity, kind of trying to figure that out as a single young person in this world. And now you're a blessed man. So in that time, also, your involvement with High Noon has increased. And probably the most that you were immersed in High Noon was on the tour because it was kind of like pretty all-consuming for at least a couple months, right? So why is it that you've stayed involved with High Noon and continue to do so, even though now you're married? And what do you get from working with us? I think it's, for me, this has become part of my lifestyle and part of my culture that I want to live out in my life, actually. As I said in the beginning, I joined because I really felt I had to, and I had to recover from my own addiction, from my own problems, and a couple of years ago. But I realized that back then, I just joined High Noon and participated to work on addiction or to recover from pornography. But that led to me getting into self-development and developing healthy habits. And I developed a better relationship with my phone, better relationship with the internet. But from there, it just kind of went into improving my relationships and improving my emotional world. And I got into a therapy where I learned a lot about my emotions and got to heal a lot of stuff. And then it just got me into preparing for marriage. And I think a big part why, among many other things, but a big part why my wife and I had a great start actually to starting married life is because of all the education and advice and mentors I've had, connection with mentors through I knew. So I think the reason why I joined was to fix the problem, but that led me into just working on the things that I want in my life. And it created a culture where I can just be myself and where there had been the problems that I had, they were there because there had been a hole and emptiness in my life because there's been a bit of deprivation of enough unconditional love in my life or feeling yeah, just feeling loved or being able to feel confident about myself, partially because of whatever problem I had and I kept seeing myself failing. And But once I learned that I am loved and there's unconditional love and I could be more connected to that through this Heinen way, I could apply this in so many other areas in my life. And I still can. And so it's a culture that I can apply each day in my relationships, choosing to just fully be myself, stepping into the light, the high noon and not leaving things in the shadows or leaving things secrets or feeling like, oh, this is too much to share or I shouldn't share this part of myself because it's inappropriate or people would judge or strange, but really find the best way that I can express and that can add to my surrounding and world. And I think that is as well what a high noon life is, the high noon culture is. Being free, experiencing freedom to fully be myself and fully love others and as well, fully receive love from others. And I'll have any block that tells me, oh, I'm not supposed to receive. That's fantastic. That kind of gets into territory of misconceptions, right? So I think a lot of people, and I've heard this and I've seen it happen where people come to High Noon to maybe sign up for our programs and they work on themselves and they get rid of, say, porn. And then they're like, oh, great, see ya. And then I never hear from them again. There's a few people that I have strongly in mind that they kind of healed themselves and bolted. 
never to be heard from again. And so I think they kind of missed it because what you're touching on is the lifestyle aspect that this is never ending and not in a bad way. Like the whole addiction world is like, you're an addict forever. You have to call yourself an addict. Even after you've been recovered for decades, you're always an addict. And that kind of defines you in some way. Whereas this is a lifestyle in terms of to crush life takes work every day. Even if you're crushing life already, it still takes work to continually crush life. Like enjoyment takes work. You have to create more enjoyment and more enjoyment. So that whole thing is even if you're not suffering anymore, you still need to work on enjoying life more or creating enjoyment for others and spreading it, right? And that makes a lot of sense when you say it like that. But prior to this new wise old Andy, did you have any uh, misconceptions about High Noon, the organization, or this process of building sexual integrity? Yeah, for sure. Before I joined to sign up for Ascend, the program or group, I hesitated for a long time because I felt like, oh, I don't want to accept that I have a problem or High Noon is only for if I'm really crippled. Like joining means I'm someone crippled and someone having problems and it's not for me or joining it. Yeah, that was kind of my concept. And when I joined, the concept was that it's only to fix my problem as something to fix about myself and that's it. And then I can leave again. Kind of thing. Yeah. I think that is a misconception that Heinen is only addressing that, like fixing a negative problem. Maybe there was a, more of that emphasis in the beginning, but it's not what Heinen is now, I think, for sure. Some people think Heinen is only for broken people and they don't want to be associated with that. First of all, we're all broken people in some respect, right? Just because we didn't get wholeness in every respect possible because we're in a broken world. So inherently, we're getting broken, unfulfilling amounts of love from some different relationship in our life. But also, even when people do heal themselves and they are full, then it's a fullness encouragement organization to like keep you at your best, right? So it's like there's no such thing and then as a perfect diet where once you go through a 90-day challenge of this perfect diet, then you never have to eat healthy food again. That's malarkey. It's insane. It's like a diet is a diet to keep you healthy. So there's healthy foods that keep you healthy. There's junk food that makes you unhealthy. And the same thing goes for your thoughts and emotions and habits. I'm glad you see the light, Andy. And what do you think are common misconceptions? Like, you know, you helped us organize this event all the events, the whole tour. And there is some resistance, as there always is, as there should be, because people aren't sure sometimes. They don't know what we're about. Or sometimes we haven't been around for a while, so they forgot who we are. So what were some misconceptions that you feel that you ran into that people had about High Noon either as an organization or about what we do, anything like that? One additional thing that comes to my mind to the other things that we already mentioned was that... I think some people were kind of uncertain about Heinun's education. And that was believing that Heinun's message was, oh, everyone's struggling anyway, or everyone's struggling with that. So everyone has to work on that, which is not the point, right? Not everyone is necessarily struggling with the same things. It's different things for different people, two different degrees, I think. Yeah. Different extents as well. So once there was this kind of idea that, oh, this is kind of the message. Everyone is struggling anyway making people who don't struggle so much feel like, oh, if I'm not struggling, maybe this is weird. Maybe I shouldn't be struggling. Which is not 
Heinen's message actually is just, uh, it's kind of for the people who are struggling, you are not alone, right? And there's hope, like we can work on this and we can figure it out. You don't have to feel and judge yourself as evil and or bad, a failure to be put away forever. Good. So redemption. Well, you don't have to struggle forever. You don't have to suffer forever. That means there's hope for redemption. You can redeem yourself. Cool. Yeah, that's a chance. Already. Yeah, a chance for that for people to do that. They don't have to be stuck. And that yeah. it's also, I think there's something there for anyone who feels stuck in some way in their life. It doesn't have to be necessarily porn. That's kind of still the first thing that people associate when they hear Hainu. And it's the focus. But I felt that the teachings really helped to get, if there's anything that's kind of causing pain or I'm getting stuck on pain in my life, then yeah, learning kind of what Hainu lifestyle and Hainu culture is about can help. Cool, man. Yeah. Do you have anything else that you want to say? about us or to us or anything before we go? I'm excited to keep working with Hainu because I see that it's, I mentioned before, it's helping me to be a better human being, I think, in all the other things I do as well. And I'm really grateful that Hainu made it to Europe. Actually initiated coming to Europe, wanting to create that. Yeah, no, thank you. It wouldn't have happened well without you. It was long overdue. It took us a while. We needed a mole. We needed Mickey LaHogue to help us mm -hmm. as well to get us going. Because in the initial stages, I could really see that Europeans like to have, like to take their time and Americans move way too fast. So one's way too slow, one's way too fast. So we had to go at a mid pace, somewhere between them and us. And you helped us be a cultural translator. So thank you. So everybody who was listening, who was there in Europe, you have Andy to thank for these events going so well. And if you haven't been to a high noon event, first of all, what's wrong with you? Second of all, if you're in a country that, just so that you know, listeners, we are planning more tours. We're going to Southeast Asia in the fall of 2023. Uncle David already started spitting out words like Senegal recently. So that means Africa is kind of <laughs> out there. But if you really want us to come, oh, and Sammy mentioned yesterday the possibility of going to Australia. But here's the thing, Andy, and you can confirm this. When we go to places, when there's an eagerness, the events are way easier to put on. And usually they're more powerful because there's momentum and we could just focus on the content. But if there's kind of like a meh energy, just kind of like a, a mediocre yearning for us, then it takes more bandwidth from us to put it on and therefore... It's potentially not as powerful. So if you really want us in your country or in your city or in your town or in your house, you got to let us know and you got to be emphatic about it. And then we will see what we can do. Okay. So reach out to us. But Andy, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. But more importantly, thank you for sticking with us all these years. You are perpetually, you will send you a high noon jacket, an official like crested jacket, like a bomber jacket, like you're in the Air Force. Okay. Actually, I didn't know that. Because you're one of us. You're one of us now. It's thank part of our secret society. So thank you for joining us. And any last words, anything at all that you want to say? I think that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Andrew Love here. And I just wanted to let you know that we have completely revamped our offering known as the Ascend Program. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you know that the Ascend Program has been our flagship porn recovery program for years and we've added a lot of content we've tweaked things here and there but recently we've 
completely done an overhaul in terms of our approach to recovery. And here's why. You see, originally we tried to appeal to everybody and we just let everybody come in. Anybody who said that they wanted to tackle porn, we just let them join. And there's a very low barrier of entry. But what we found was that a lot of people who thought they were ready to tackle their porn addiction or who kind of wanted to, they didn't always show up in the best way and they in many cases brought the group dynamic down and so what we've done is we've made the barrier of entry a little higher and in turn we've made our offering much more powerful let me explain so when you sign up now there is a small fee for everybody to sign up but you get that money back once you finish that quarter it's in kind of an escrow as a challenge for you to take your time more seriously because if you put money into something and you're only going to get it back out if you really try if you really attend your classes if you really do all the work then guess what your motivation to do that work is much higher so that's the first thing. Second thing is we are, of course, offering our weekly call groups as a part of the Ascend program. So you'll have your group that you meet with every single week, and that's super important. But in addition to that, you're going to get daily accountability. You'll be able to message with somebody every single day in order to stay on track with your North Star goal. And more than that, every quarter you get two one-on-one -on -one calls with a high noon staff. That is a one-on-one -on -one call where we do a deep dive into where you're at and where you're going. And we help you to diagnose precisely what actions will be most useful for your time, for your energy, so that you can get the biggest results for your energy spent. So we are doing our best here at Highland to make sure that you grow the most in the shortest amount of time. It's all a part of our new roadmap that we've created. Anyway, we've been doing this for a while, but we are always getting better and better. And this quarter, the first quarter in 2023, is going to be monumental. So please sign up for this Ascend program. Take it super seriously and just watch what happens. Watch how your life transforms in a short period of time.